Good morning. I don't know whether you're early or late, but at least you're here. Praise God. Someone once said that anyone who wants to persuade someone else should put their trust not in the right argument, but in the right words. Words matter. Words have energy and they have power. Words are how we communicate life together. They either help or hinder. They can hurt you or they can heal you. They can humble you or they can humiliate you. How do you use words properly? The next six Sundays, including Easter, we're going to be looking at things we've called power words. Let me tell you what they are. They're yes today, no next Sunday, enough, help, sorry, and on Easter, thanks. Now, if you can make it to all of these services, you're going to come away richer because you're going to have a knowledge of the power words you need in your relationship with God and therefore in your relationship with one another. Every word that Jesus ever spoke had power in it. Now here's how it works. You think, and then you speak. Words come from thoughts. Words create actions. And actions can become habits. Habits reveal character. You follow that? It's thoughts to words, words to action, action to habits, and habits to character. Christ walked on the earth with the mind of God because he was the God-man and still continues to be. So when he spoke, he always acted. I remember the time when the young man was let down through the roof because Jesus was doing healing. And he chose to say these words, your sins are forgiven. And the people questioned, why did you do that? That's not his greatest need. Jesus followed the words with action. Pick up your bed and walk. You see, he was showing us that there's something about the character of Christ. He acted and he created a habit of living a holy life. And in the midst of that holiness is his character. What he's saying to you and to me is this. God is looking for truthful people to be in a relationship with him. To learn to say yes to God is going to help you learn when to say yes to others. You have to have this relationship with God first as tight as you possibly can in order to function in the world in which he's placed us because you're doing it for him. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes. So what about the word yes? Well, in the scriptures... It was used a hundred times. I like that round number that God gave us. 
How many times should I say yes? At least 100, because that was in the Bible. 58 in the Old Testament, 42 in the New. And in the Gospel of Matthew, who's writing to Jews and writing about the kingdom of God, we find probably more yeses than any other New Testament book. Because Matthew is relating to the reader, us, to the listener at that point in time and reader, this truth that God is talking about the kingdom and he's inaugurating the kingdom early in the book of Matthew. When you get to chapter 5 that many of us know is where we find the Sermon on the Mount. It's where Jesus was standing with 5,000 people out there listening and that's just men, adult men. All of the children and the wives were there too. It's when he takes this concept of the law from Exodus and he changes it into blessed are those who. And he walks through all of those. So he's showing that action is more important than words, that righteousness lived out comes from a righteous heart. By the time we get down to our passage, which is chapter 5, starting in verse 33, he is now talking about something a little more intimate. He's saying there's something called oath-taking. There's something about yesing. There's something about the word amen, because amen means yes. If you remember, Jesus started a lot of his conversations, and you'll read it in different translations. Truly, truly, I said to you, or amen and amen, and I say. What he's saying is yes, yes. What I'm saying is truthful. We don't have to wait till the end of it like the rabbis did to find out whether it's true or not. It's true from the front end. And so this, this word yes is very important to the Lord. The scribes and the Pharisees use the word differently. Let's see what Jesus says. Throughout these sections of Matthew, you remember he would say, it was said long ago, but I say this. Watch this, Matthew 5, 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. That would have been out of Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. I do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. The original Greek has the double there. All you say is, yes, yes, no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. That alone puts me into a position where I'm only going to say yes, yes, or no, no. Because I don't want anything evil coming out of me. Well, the scribes and the Pharisees looked at it differently. Here's what they said. They said, if you actually use the Lord's name, Yahweh, and you swear by him, then you have to keep it. That's a promise you've made to God, and so you have to keep the promise. But if you make it by heaven, or by earth, or by the city of Jerusalem, or by your own head, or, or something else, it's okay then. Maybe you can break it, and it won't be a problem. So you don't have to keep your promises that you make. 
I think we're living in a culture right now that has difficulty fulfilling promises. I know of people who have said to me, I say, what are you doing Saturday? I don't know yet. I've said yes to three things, but I'll decide on Friday which one I want to do. So you're going to break two oaths. The Bible says it's better not to take an oath at all than it is to break it. If you make a promise, you need to keep it. Why am I so adamant about that? Well, many of you know I grew up in a home without a father. I knew of him. I saw him probably five times in my life as a young boy. One of those times he made a promise to me that he was going to send me something, a, a Cubs baseball uniform from Chicago. You can imagine a seven, eight-year-old boy going out to the mailbox every single day waiting for that gift. It never came. And so I knew right then, fathers can be deceptive. So when someone said to me, you need God as your father, it's, <laughs> if I can't trust the one I can see, why would I trust the one I can't see? You see all the roadblocks we place in front of ourselves? Simply because he said yes and didn't keep it. When you say yes, you're taking an oath to do something you said you would do. Now here's the key to Jesus' teaching. He knows that the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the scribes are not in a good place with God. They have made religious behavior their God. And what he's saying throughout chapter 5 of Matthew is, it's not your religious behavior that God is looking for when that religious behavior is void of a heart that's in a relationship with God. That's the key. It's learning when and how to say yes. What did he say? He said, look, don't swear in God's name because he is who he is, and if you break that, he will break you. Don't swear by heaven. That is his throne. Don't swear by earth. That is his footstool. Don't swear by Jerusalem. That's his city. Don't swear by your own head. Don't swear. Don't take an oath unless you're going to fulfill the oath. That's the power of yes. Now, there are lots of ways to say yes. You know that if you have a cell phone, right? Look at these emojis. The first one is that quiet yes, no emotion, just yes. The second one is the sad yes. It's almost like when, when you get caught, yes. Or the reluctant yes. That's the one I love with kids where they roll their eyes, you know. Yes. <laughs> How about the emotional yes? You know, yes! And then it's great when Michigan State beats Michigan. Or when Michigan beats Michigan State. You see, you got to play it fair. I don't really care. I'm a Georgia fan. <laughs> but yes is important. There are two yeses in my life that were the most important to me and still continue to be. The first one was when Jesus Christ said yes to me. When he said, I want you for my own. Will you say yes? And I said, yes. I said it with tears coming out of my eyes because I did not deserve it. I did not even seek it. He sought me and he found me. 
If he's seeking you, let me warn you, he will find you. And he will offer you the same thing he offered me. And this is the time you need to say yes. And you can say it with tears or with joy or with sadness or reluctantly. It doesn't matter. Just say yes. Because he then seals the oath for you. That's what you need to do. The second most important happened in 1973. I had met Linda, the woman that would become my wife. I met her in Miami, Florida. I was only able to see her for two and a half days while she was there with another girlfriend going to a wedding. I took her to lunch. I took her to dinner. I took her to the airport. That was it. I wrote her a few letters. We only talked on the phone twice. In October, I flew to Dearborn, Michigan. I took her to Parmenter Cider Mill in Northville, if any of you know where that is. And I stood next to a railing and I said, will you marry me? After that short time of knowing one another. And she said, yes. And I said, yes? <laughs> she said, yes. And I said, yes! <laughs> you know, that's how you can use that word. But saying yes at the right time in the right place is so, so important. The more you say yes to God, the more you'll say yes at the right time to people. Here's what someone said. Words are seeds that do more than blow around. They land in our hearts and not on the ground. Be careful what you plan and careful what you say. You might have to eat what you planted one day. That's how powerful words are. So be careful with your words. Luke chapter 6, verse 45. Dr. Luke writes, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. When you know that you've got control of your language, you know you've got control of your heart. It's the heart that is evil. Didn't Jesus say it's not what goes into a person? that defiles them, it's what comes out. It's the words that we use. You know God is the author of words. When God created Adam, and he put him in the garden, before Eve had come along, he said to him, I want you to name the animals. Now Adam was without sin, so I know his answer. It was yes. And so then he began to name them. I've often wondered how that took place. We don't have any evidence of how it took place. But I'm just thinking, so I'm seeing him sitting on a rock somewhere, and God's bringing him by. My idea is that he brought him by alphabetically. <laughs> Who knows? And that Adam saw that first one. Now, don't come give me another name after this message. He saw the first one. He said, Aardvark. <laughs> and God said, that's right. Because you see... Adam was downloading from God. He was hearing what God was saying. And I'm sure God was saying, that's an aardvark. Aardvark. <laughs> because all of this knowledge is in the mind of God. And he wants to send it into us. He wants us in this relationship with him. So that when you are asked a question by someone else, 
you're able to say, God, what should that answer be? And I promise you, the Holy Spirit that lives within you will give you guidance. He may say to you, well, go ask this person for help and confirm what you think I'm telling you to do. It is so important, your relationship to God, to hear what he's saying. How do you hear it? You study his word. You stay in prayer. You fellowship with one another. You say yes to God when he wants to hear that. The Apostle Paul gives us a clue of why this is so important. In a passage in 2 Corinthians, he says, All the promises of God find their yes in him. So he's promised everything to you and me. We sang about it today. And in the midst of those promises, God is saying, Yes, I will do this for you. That's where you're going to find your answer. That's where your yes lives. It lives in him. And we live in him. And we move and we have our being. Luke tells us in the book of Acts. So we need to have that right relationship with God to hear the yeses. Pastor John Piper comments on that same passage. He said, our life is a resounding yes, yes, yes. Yes to his joy. Yes to his holiness. Yes to faith and hope and love and peace and power. We are constantly saying yes to God. Why don't we? What are the reasons that would keep us from having this correct so that we can have a better shot at this being correct? Let me tell you the number one reason. It's the old pogo situation for those who remember that comic strip. We have found the enemy, and he is us. I'm my own worst enemy. When I am self-centered, when I'm thinking of me, then I will not say yes to others because I'm more important than they are. I'm thinking of the way I want to do it. I won't say yes to God because I don't want to do it that way. It's that self-centeredness that does not trust God. And therefore, we enter into relationships and we make commitments and we break the commitments and we break the relationship simply because we don't understand what it is to trust God, to say yes to him. That's the starting point of everything is learning to say yes to God. His call upon us is to exercise our faith by reorienting our values. In other words, take a long look at yourself. What's your value? What is it that, that motivates you to move in life? It should be your relationship with God. Your relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That should be your motivating factor. That he has called you into a relationship with himself and you've said yes to that relationship. Now he's going to tell you how to live it out. And that's where we say, no, I don't want to do it that way. Peter made the mistake when he said, not so, Lord. That's an oxymoron. You can't say, not so, and Lord, in the same sentence. It should have been, yes, Lord. Yes, I will do whatever you say. So work on your relationship with him. Work on your yes. How is your yes? 
how's it going? Are you thinking of things right now that you've said yes to that you probably should not have? Then clean them up. Are you thinking that you really don't know what God is calling you to do? Then ask him. And when he calls, say yes. You see, God wants to corner your yes. You heard of that term before, that I've got a corner on something. In other words, I, I own, I hold this, this is all mine. I've got a corner on the market. Well, I want to play with that concept for a minute to give you a visual to remember. When we think of cornering something, we're thinking of a 90 degree. That's a corner. So I want to box your yes in today. I want to give you four corners and have you do something with them. Why? Well, follow this with me for a minute. At St. Paul's Cathedral in England, people used to pray there and preach there on the corners, and everybody was standing outside going, yes and amen. At the intersection of Madison Avenue and 5th in New York City, that's where the street preachers would preach, and people would be going, yes and amen. And then in 1958, a young man by the name of Arnold Palmer won his first green jacket by winning the Masters Golf Tournament in Augusta, Georgia. And the Sports Illustrated writer who commented on it said, you know, he won it when he went through the back nine and the 11th, 12th, and 13th holes. He said someone was praying, and so he called that the amen corner. All three of those are amen corners. Flip it around. God wants to corner your amen. So he wants to show you how you are to say yes. There are four ways to say yes that are pleasing to God. The very first corner is it must be truthful. Think before you speak. When asked by God or by men or women to make a commitment to something, pray, seek his answer, and say yes truthfully. Last summer when Linda and I were in Moldova serving with Widow's Might, we had requested that our host there rent a car that would be air-conditioned because uh, it's in the high 90s over there for the week and a half we're there. And he did so. So we get there. The first day, he picks us up, and he says, I'm sorry, there's no air in the car. I said, I thought we had asked for air. He said, I did. He said, the man, I said, does the car have air conditioning? He said, yes. He said, this morning I called him, and I said, it's not working. He said, I didn't say it worked. You just asked if you had air. <laughs> that is not truthful. A truthful answer considers everything that's going on, and then when you're ready to say yes to God, you say, yes, Lord, I'll do this, or someone's request from among us. You say, yes, Lord, I'll do this. It has to be truthful. The second corner is compassion. It must be a compassionate yes. Last winter, my daughter, who teaches at a Christian school in Detroit area, 
had been at our home, and Linda and I had both gone. It was 5.30 in the morning when she needs to leave to be at her school in order to be ready by 7 a.m. for kids arriving. She called me at 5.30, Dad, I can't believe this. <coughs> I said, what? She said, I have locked myself out of the house and the car, and I'm supposed to be at school by 7. What am I going to do? And I thought, well, you could call an Uber. You could, you know, I'm thinking of all the possible. I said, no, wait a minute. Let's pray. We prayed. I said, I'll call you right back. So at 5.30 in the morning, I called, and he still is, a friend of mine. <laughs> he has preached here twice before, Rick Bosnack. He's the one that came with the guitar. Some of you remember him. I said, Rick. He said, what's the matter? I said, I have a problem. I explained it to him. He said, what can I do? I said, you can go pick her up, take her 18 miles to Southfield Christian School, and then come back. And he said, without hesitation, yes, I'd, I'd love to do that for her. Give me her phone number. Let me call her right now, and I'll set it up with her to let her know I'm on my way. So that's compassion. Jesus, when he saw the crowds and he saw what a terrible setting and situation they were in, the Bible says, and he had compassion for them. So truthful, yes, compassionate, yes, and thirdly, a joyful yes. Here's how you get the joyful yes. It's when you understand that everyone else's urgency is greater than yours. It's moving away from self-centeredness. We have a, an unwritten reality here at the church among the staff, and there are 22 of us here working for Jesus on the staff, and that is that everybody's available all the time to help one another. If someone comes, walks up to my office, I've told them before, do not say, I'm sorry to interrupt you, because if you were, you wouldn't be here. Right? I mean, that's such a stupid statement, you know? That's like calling someone saying, did I wake you? Do you care? <laughs> what we say is, your urgency is greater than whatever I'm doing. So my apparent urgency yields to yours. I say yes with joy. I want to be part of an answer to a question you have. That's what joy is. The fourth corner, faithfully. You have to say it. Faithfully, that means I believe that I can fulfill this promise. I'm going to be faithful to the promise I made. Why do we have these four? They are a reflection of the character of Christ. What did he do? He was faithful when he said yes to the Father, I will go. He showed compassion. The scripture even says, for the joy set before him. He suffered the death of the cross. He was joyful. He was faithful. He was compassionate. And did he not say of himself, I am the way and the truth. So he was truthful. This is how yes is communicated. It's how you need to start communicating with God. Listen to what he has for you. His will is far beyond anything you can imagine. And you're a living testimony of it right now, so continue it. Continue to say yes to God. 
In the 1950s, there was a man by the name of Albert Carter who invented something that many of you will remember. Remember the magic eight ball? Yeah, I hear a few nods up there. <clears throat> I hope you just remember it and you didn't use it. Okay, because when you used it, what you did is you shook it and then you sat it down and an answer would pop up to whatever question you asked. Well, first of all, there is inside this cue ball, this big ball with an eight on it, it, it inside of it, is blue alcohol and a 20-sided white structure. So when you shake it, the structure is moving inside, and by chance, something pops up. Well, mathematically, we understand that there were 10 answers that said yes, five that said maybe, and five that said no. So you had a 75% chance of getting anything you wanted. If you're into odds, that's pretty good. But here's what I want to say to you. If your yes and amen is in him, then there is a 100% reality that you're going to get exactly what God wants you to have. It's yes. It's amen. God wants your yes to be yes. He wants to corner your yes. So will you do that this week? Will you start hesitating before you answer, asking God for the answer, saying yes to God, and then yes to one another. Let your yes be yes. Let's stand together.